This podcast is sponsored by OAG. With the world's largest network of air travel data, OAG provides the most comprehensive, accurate flight schedule and flight status information from one trusted source. Explore our industry-leading data for airlines at OAG.com. Nothing excites journalists more than scandal, depravity, and humiliation. But unfortunately, we'll get none of that today. For the most part, this is going to be another good news episode as we're checking in on Ryanair, Wizz Air, and EasyJet, three airlines clearly residing in the winner's circle. Yeah, cue the Irish, Hungarian, and British national anthems. As we like to do on this show, let's start with some numbers. In the most recent half-year reported, EasyJet had a comfortable 18% operating margin. Wizz Air just reported a 5% operating margin in the fourth quarter. And while that doesn't sound like much, it helped deliver a solid 17% margin for the year. And then there's Ryanair, 9% operating margin in the fourth quarter, 23% on the year. Yeah, 23% figure, third best in the world among airlines that have reported so far. What, if anything, can drive these carriers further ahead? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We'll also discuss Spirit's recent successes and challenges. Meanwhile, Alaska doesn't seem to face any any challenges at all. Plus, Korean Air and Asiana both had some good news out of Asia. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about EasyJet, Ryanair, and Wizz Air, the three low-cost carriers in Europe, all enjoying terrific success. I want to start with EasyJet, which comes with one big asterisk right out of the gate. First, Easy doesn't report earnings at the same time as everybody else, and the most recent report came out in November, which covered the peak summer and spring quarters. So that 18% operating margin that Easy reported wasn't nearly as good as, say, the 23% for the full year that Ryanair reported, or even Wiz's 17% on the year. That's right, Jason. Uh, Easy, more precisely, for the most recent 12 months that it has reported. So in its case, that's October of 2015 through uh, September of 2016, uh, notched 10%. So after the current calendar quarter, uh, you know, basically sometime oh, in, in, in April, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they'll they'll report, you know, this this most recent half, uh, the one that we're in the middle of right now, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to update that figure. But they, yes, for the moment, are, are, are clearly not doing as well as either Ryanair or or Wizz Air. Ryanair, you know, considerably better than either two, than either of the other two. Wizz Air, uh, somewhat behind Ryanair, but still with, with an, an excellent, as you said, 17%, uh, for the year, which is, uh, which is considerably ahead of, uh, EasyJet, closer to Ryanair, at least based on those most recent figures we had from EasyJet than it is to EasyJet. But nonetheless, EasyJet remains a strong airline. Do you expect Easy to return to form? Well, it's um, yeah, you're right. A, a successful company, an airline that uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago was was kind of nipping at Ryanair's heels. Uh, had really done an excellent job from sort of rising from. Uh, Perfectly sustainable, but but not outstanding margins. To yeah, being right there uh, 
in some periods anyway, uh, neck and neck with Ryanair, uh, it, it, it wasn't really able to sustain that pace. Um, and now it's facing some, uh, some, some real challenges. I mean, you've got the, uh, the weak British pound, uh, you know, ever since the Brexit vote. Um, that's, you know, when, when you've got fuel that, like all airlines, is denominated in U.S. dollars, which have strengthened a lot against the pound. And when you've got uh, nearly half of your tickets sold in the UK, sold to people who uh, you know, basically have less spending power than they used to have, who, you know, if they're going to go uh, take a trip to Europe, to, to continental Europe, you're just not going to be able to afford as much when they're there. That's all rather difficult. You know, having said that, this this is an airline that uh, is in the middle of a uh, of the of a cost cutting program, an airline that um, importantly is continues to move from A319s to A320s, which have considerably lower unit costs. It's uh, been opening bases in uh, uh, on the Iberian Peninsula where where uh, where costs are cheaper than uh, than elsewhere, and that all matters a lot when you're talking about uh, short haul flying, uh, very high load factors. I mean, um, ancillary revenues jumping. Uh, you know, they they were up nineteen uh, percent year over year in the uh, most recent period reported, and and so um uh, yeah, you know they're they're uh, they're they're doing fine. I should say that nineteen percent, by the way, even more recent. They did provide an update for the calendar fourth quarter even though they didn't report earnings they gave uh they gave certain indications and um you know basically uh reasons to be upbeat um but still uh, you know there'll be a cloud hanging until we know what uh, in particular is really happening with uh with Brexit you know if in fact it is a hard Brexit as looks to be the case um yeah there there're going to be uh, uh some economic issues associated with that and some complexities for EasyJet you know they're probably going to have to set up a new uh, operating certificate in Europe and and uh and so forth. Uh, still, of all the airlines in the world, EasyJet still uh, you know, closer to the top of the heap, certainly, than the, than the bottom. Wizz Air had a 5% operating margin in the fourth quarter, but this is an airline that makes its money in the summer. In fact, in the second quarter, Wizz posted a 37% operating margin. Seth, will Wizz be Europe's second most profitable carrier in 2016? Yeah, almost certainly. Um, you know, again, if you sort of look at the at the most recent 12 months that they've all reported at this point, uh, you know, even though you don't have the full calendar year results for all, you have you, know, you have most of it. Uh, yeah, Wiz. Um, uh, well, you know, looking at that ranking, uh, which I'm doing right now, that we the most recent time that we published it, you know, so so Ryanair is just kind of just below Allegiant and those among the most profitable in the world. But then, uh, you know, but then Wiz is although significantly behind Ryanair, far ahead of anybody else in Europe. I think among all European airlines, you know, at least independent ones that report uh that report their margins. So Wiz had at that point, you know, through again that most recent period that we had for all of them, eighteen percent, as you said, now down to seventeen percent for what are now its most recent twelve months. But that eighteen percent, you have to go all the way down to Iceland Air at eleven percent um, to find another uh, IAG parent company of uh, British Airways, Iberian Voiling, also at eleven uh, percent. So uh, yeah, Wiz is is doing uh, very very well, and uh, will will certainly when when all of the two thousand sixteen. Uh, numbers are in will have been the uh, second most profitable airline in Europe. And that 5% margin in the fourth quarter is actually pretty good, or at least not harmful. 
Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, the story has always been that a, the a European airline, uh, if you're op- if you're in the black at all um, for that uh, for that period, you're you're uh, you're doing well. The the seasonal swings in Europe are much greater than they are in most other parts of the world, uh, including North America, for example. I mean, U.S. carriers over the past uh, few years have done a, a, an extraordinary job of, uh, as they say, managing the troughs. You know, of having the off peak periods not be so off peak in in profitability terms, even if they're off peak in demand terms. Um, but even before they got to where they are today, um, the swings weren't as dramatic as, as they are in Europe. Europe is, uh, I mean, it's just colder. You know, it's 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 a place where you you can't generally take a a uh, a two hour flight uh, to a warm beach. For for example, and, and so you know, there, there's not a lot airlines can do to to produce margins in the off peak periods that that approach the margin they produce in the peak periods. Wiz's management said it believes they're operating in a quote changing revenue environment and one that favors ultra low cost carriers. What are they talking about there? Well, fares are very low. Um, at, at the same time, the fuel costs are, are up for all these airlines, uh, and so you know, basically, that's just something that you know, relatively speaking, they're well positioned to deal with a with a low fare environment. Um, you know, when prevailing airfares are low, and even the more revenue focused carriers are are you know unable to generate very positive revenues, um, very strong revenues, I should say. Well. Then that's where the the cost differentiation. I'm talking the, you know, not not fares. I mean the, the the cost of production. You know the efficiency, where that starts to matter more. And uh, you know, Jason, we've talked about it in the past. The you know with low cost long haul, how it's you know hard to differentiate yourself on cost. Uh, with short haul, the uh, you know the lowest cost producers can have massive uh, cost advantages. And so uh, this is an environment where you know if the revenue differential isn't all that big. I mean, look, there you know, is very are going to be lower than uh, the fares of the legacy airlines. But if they aren't all that much lower because prevailing airfares are just so low, um, but if its costs are considerably lower, uh, well, that that's a very nice differential to be able to uh, to work with. You know, much lower costs and only somewhat lower revenues are, uh, are, are, uh, are an environment that Wiz likes. Moving on to Ryanair's 9% operating margin in the fourth quarter. And that is pretty great considering it comes after a 43% margin in the summer. One statistic that jumped out at me was the 95% load factor in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that is a load factor driven revenue management strategy. If ever I've seen one, uh, you know, um, this, this is an airline that really has, um, perfected that. I mean, years ago, Ryanair used to say, Oh, you know, one day we're just going to be giving away, uh, tickets for free and just make it all in ancillaries. Well, that never really happened. It's unlikely to happen, but you know, b- basically the, the strategy is, and, and uh, yeah, I should back up and say, so with, with revenue management, you know, just sort of, you know, the, the whole science of the, you know, kind of, filling an airplane with people who are all paying roughly as much as they're willing to pay. Philosophically, airlines can either take a yield-driven approach to revenue management. So that means you know, really focus on what people are paying um, and err on the side of, yeah, we're okay having some empty seats. We just don't want to be giving away seats for, for, you know, for less than we think we might be able to get. So that's a yield-driven approach as opposed to a load-factor-driven approach, which is Look, yeah, try to get as much as you can for the seats, but fill the seats. And when you are an airline in particular that, that produces a lot of ancillary revenue, that can make particular sense because, you know, even those last few people who didn't pay all that much to get on board are, are likely to purchase other products and services uh, from you. Uh, but yeah, that's remarkable. And you can figure out how to, how to, you know, fill a plane 
to 95% on average, even in the fourth quarter, uh, Ryanair doing very well. And look, to be clear, um, I mean, you could, you could always get 100%, you know, if, if you charge too little for seats and, uh, and, and go broke doing it. So, so, you know, you, you still have to get the mix right. Uh, but Ryanair based on those, uh, those profitability figures we know is, is, uh, is, is not just giving away seats. It's, uh, it's filling an extraordinary percentage of its seats and, and doing them at, uh, at, at, at sustainable airfares. Looking ahead, Ryanair is going to be interlining with Aer Lingus and Norwegian. How big of a deal is that? Well, it's useful, you know, and, and uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm not sure if uh, not too many years ago, if you had asked me if Ryanair and Aer Lingus in particular would be interlined, that might have been uh, hard to believe. Ryanair at one point wanted to, uh, the, to buy Aer Lingus, but, uh, you know, that aside, they, they've more often been enemies than not. But, uh, you know, but look, it, it's it, Ryanair at this point has a lot of um, useful feed uh, to provide to these airlines that are operating long haul flights uh, at places like, in the case of Aer Lingus, Dublin, uh, in the case of Norwegian, you know, various uh, bases around Europe at this point, Scandinavia, Paris, Barcelona. It makes sense. Now, the thing is, when you go back to that last question you asked me about the 95% load factor, that's what sort of mitigates the benefit, okay? Because it's not as if Ryanair, from its perspective, is um, is struggling to fill its seats. Um, so there's not a lot of room to work with in terms of it's not like it has, has all these seats to offload and, hey, just take what you could get for them because otherwise they're going to fly empty. But, you know, you'd always rather compete for a greater pool of passengers than a smaller one. It's uh, not going to give those seats away. But hey, if if uh, if that feed is is, um, you know, valuable enough to Aer Lingus and Norwegian that they are willing to pay Ryanair more for a seat than Ryanair could have sold that seat for on the on the open market, you know, is essentially the you know what 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 would be going on there, then uh then it's happy to have it. It just you know bids up the uh, the cost of seats. So you know prob- probably doesn't change Ryanair's world, but as, you know as long as it can do this efficiently, and you know I mean this is Ryanair. I'm sure I'm sure it's that's the only reason it's doing it. Um, helpful for them and uh, and you know by definition helpful for Aer Lingus and Norwegian. Uh, you know if if they're putting a passenger on a Ryanair flight, it's because they've judged. You know, that passenger is contributing usefully, even with sort of what they have to concede to Ryanair for for the cost of that feed, so to speak. Okay, that brings us to our Airline 101 question. When I read about ultra low cost carriers, I'll come across things like this, which uh, this comes from Wiz's fourth quarter report. Quote, ancillary revenue surged 21% in the fourth quarter. When you see such a big leap, what is really happening? I see this a lot, and it seems to me ancillary revenues are you know, very dynamic. Why is that? Well, uh, a few things. First of all, uh, when you have a fast-growing airline, and uh, do you remember their, their total revenues? What was I'd have, to, I'd have to find it. What was is... Uh you know, revenues overall increased by, but you know, whatever, it's probably something like 10%. Uh, you know, so, so part of it just is that the airline is growing so quickly anyway. So if we're talking about total ancillary revenues rather than ancillary revenues per passenger, then it's no surprise that just a rapidly growing airline, you know, everything at the airline is growing, um, including ancillary revenues, even if they don't grow, uh, all that much on a per passenger basis. But having said that, you know, Wiz, um, uh, certainly one of those airlines that even on a per passenger basis has been doing a, um, a great job. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is that airlines have different definitions for what they consider ancillary. You know, Ryanair, for example, said that ancillaries now make up 30% of its overall revenues. And so they were saying that in a positive way. Um, but if you look at some of the figures across the industry, you might say, wait a minute, actually, that's not that impressive. I mean, there are, there are airlines where it's, you know, you know, where it's up closer to 50%, but Ryanair does not consider bag fees ancillary revenues. And that is, uh, uh, for most airlines, uh, uh, 
with the exception for some of their of their frequent flyer programs, uh, you know, revenue from from co-brands and credit cards and so forth. Uh, you know, bag fees are, are the biggest ancillary of all. Ryanair doesn't um, doesn't count them as as ancillary. So uh, so there's that too. A lot of apples to oranges going on with uh, uh, with this sort of stuff in very low fare environments. Um, in the well, in the U.S. right now, with the ultra low cost carriers, you actually see some pressure on the ancillaries because. You know, an airline, uh, and the, I, I know you want to get to them later in the show, but an airline like Spirit, say, which is is you know finding it a little bit hard to differ, harder than usual to differentiate itself, um, because fares are so low, you know, because people can fly Fuller Frills airlines, uh, for for so cheap right now, you know, it just gets harder to charge people a lot for the ancillaries if they're. You know, if passengers are looking and saying, "Hey, by the time I get done uh, paying for all that, I could have flown, um, you know, JetBlue or, or you know, whatever other airline." Okay, this is my last question about these three carriers. Um, now we talk about how the U.S. airlines are doing so well, enjoying a golden age and all that, and we know, as we've said before, um, it's mostly the result of a good home economy, cheap oil that's denominated in dollars consolidation, a cheap labor cycle, and the advent of ancillary revenues. But these European carriers that we've been talking to, they can claim some of those things, but they can't claim all of them. And they're enjoying tremendous success despite of that. Is it possible they could find another gear? Uh, well, yeah, consolidation would be the one. And you know, there's been some of it uh, there, but, but, but you know, it's still a highly uh, fragmented industry. You know, that, that's, that's really... Uh, you know, probably the biggest lever, but it's still it, it's still tough because there you just have more of these sort of overlapping markets where you know it, it you know even if within uh, sort of Western and Central Europe there were to be a lot more consolidation, you know you still have Turkish Airlines competing for you know many of the same traffic flows that, that Lufthansa competes for, um, you know Aeroflot for others and and so forth. And and look, I mean to some degree that exists in 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 the you know let's say if we're talking just about U.S. airlines, yes, Air Canada compete, competes for some of the same global traffic flows, but it, it's it's not the same thing. You know the the U.S. is one giant domestic market uh, that's highly consolidated and that has all the other things that that, that you mentioned, and it would be tougher for uh europe to get there so uh so yeah you know there's there's uh if anything maybe more opportunity for europe just because of of uh you know how much work there is left to do but um but right now i mean you never you know you never want to say never because i'm not sure too many people predicted uh you know 10 or 11 years ago that that uh legacy u.s airlines would be far more profitable than european ones but uh, at the moment you know kind of hard to see what that next uh sort of you know, anything easy, basically, that they can do to uh, uh, supercharge their profits. Let's thank our sponsor, OAG. Learn more at OAG.com. Moving to another continent, but staying with the ultra-low-cost model, let's look at Spirit's fourth quarter. And before we get to the numbers, which were fine, Seth, is Spirit facing a situation where the hunter is becoming the hunted? Yeah, very much so. I don't think it is only uh, the fact that the legacy airlines and others have 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 yeah you know, that they woke up um you know i think that the world has changed in in some important ways but they also woke up you you could see spirit sort of feeling very uncomfortable in in this uh in this new world and i mean the biggest change uh, is what i mentioned earlier sort of the these these low prevailing airfares you know spirit does well when it can uh when it can operate in an environment where it can charge a lot less than other than other airlines fares that still might not all be all that low but are just a lot lower than the other airlines uh and, and basically entice people aboard with uh the, just 
with low prices, you know, people who in some cases might not really want to fly Spirit. But now it, it, you know, by definition cannot be far cheaper than other airlines when the other airlines are rather cheap. So, you know, it's trying to do other things. It, it now, for example, Jason participates in, in the, uh, the TSA pre-check program in the U.S., the program where, you know, trusted travelers uh, can have expedited security screenings and that sort of thing. That's a cost, not a huge one, but, you know, just one of those things that a few years ago, uh, they could kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, sure, too bad, no pre-check, you know, like it welcome aboard anyway because you know because you know the overall value was was good because of uh of, of the low price but now they uh need to be doing other things it's a basic economy i mean look that's not only about spirit it you know it's a fair product compares with allegiance fares and with frontiers also but allegiant for the moment is still uh sort of operating at the fringes of the industry in terms of markets that most of the other airlines are looking at uh spirit for a while has been very much in their crosshairs um you know it's flying from their big hubs yeah it's playing around with trying to make akron canton work and stuff like that but uh, this is an airline still very much structured to fly um from legacy airline hubs in some cases between those hubs um you know just competing head-to-head on trunk routes uh and those airlines are not about to let it uh take what they see as their customers without a fight and only spirit could imagine complaining about a 16 percent operating margin in the fourth quarter and 21 percent for the year this comes despite fuel costs rising 20 percent in the fourth quarter and labor costs rising 27 percent i'm guessing they were bailed out by nice revenues well, I mean, their their revenues grew 11%, but that was on 15% um, capacity growth, ASM capacity growth. So, you know, I, uh, mostly I think they weren't really bailed out by anything. I mean, they're, 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 you know, their margins, as you said, are still you know very high compared to most airlines in the world. But that's 16%. I mean, that was down from 23% in the same quarter year earlier. You, you know, sure, everything is relative. And sure, many airlines around the world would love to have spirits problems. But, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, rightfully looking at this and saying, hey, we got to stop the, I guess, stop the bleeding is not the right word because they're not, they're not bleeding. They're solidly in the black. But, you know, just, just stop this, uh, stop this trajectory at their on because uh it's it's uh no it's it's certainly uncomfortable for them they there you know there was a time that they were at the top of the industry and they're right now you know, just kind of middle of the pack among u.s airlines moving in the wrong direction so you know we'll see it's, it's uh it's an airline that is still set up to win on cost uh you know win on cost advantages they still have cost advantages but but you know again the the, the problem is that just the sort of the the whole value proposition uh, of flying them is not what it once was because of the overall all low fares. And so what they need to do, I mean, I think probably the easiest way to describe their whole strategic dilemma is how much do they change themselves to become something that they're probably not going to ever be the most comfortable thing for them because of the current environment? Or do they just kind of recognize that, yeah, sometimes the world changes and uh, it, you know, you're not as well set up to deal with it. But sometimes the, the important thing is not to overreact. Um, and, and again, what I'm talking about, for example, is uh, their decision to uh, shy away from a plan to take A321s, which are the lowest unit cost nobody aircraft out there uh in favor of a320s you know which yeah those are better planes if you're going to be going into smaller markets you know because you feel like you don't have the same opportunities in the biggest markets that in the bigger markets as as you thought you had uh because the legacy airlines are attacking you more but you know when you are an ultra low cost carrier that wins by having the lowest costs and you're deciding to you know not take the aircraft that have the lowest unit cost you know you're you're changing yourself in an, in an interesting way and you're basically betting that 
uh, you're going to be able to make up the cost advantage that you're giving up to some degree with a uh, with a revenue advantage. Uh, and, um, and we'll see. You know, it, it, uh, I'm just saying it's not an airline that's that's really set up to win mostly with uh, with revenue advantages. But um, you know, but this could all be a uh, rather temporary thing you know the other airlines are are um are doing everything they can to stop the declining unit revenues and to squeeze fares higher if if they can at some point and so if that happens you know if airfares start rising again prevailing airfares start rising again then that gives you know spirit the ability again to just start winning a little bit more on price and and so i i think if that happens they will want to have not changed themselves too much uh from what you know made them successful in the first place Now, I said at the outset, this is going to be a feel-good episode. And if you have any doubt, I give you Alaska Airlines. They posted a 21% operating margin in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, 21%. Uh, Staggering 25% on the year. Seth, how much of their success is Seattle? So, so we're talking basically about the uh, second most profitable airline in the world, uh, uh, next to next to Allegiant by those uh, uh, in terms of margin. Uh, no, yeah, Seattle is is uh, is very helpful. Uh, you know, a few years back when when fuel was expensive, when you know oil was expensive, uh, Houston was where you want it to be. Places like that, and now it's it's uh, the coastal markets that are doing well. Um, certainly, Seattle, not to mention San Francisco. Uh, Los Angeles, Alaska, of course, now with uh, a lot of exposure to those markets via Virgin America. You know, Portland has a healthy economy. Um, so yeah, no, it has it has the right exposure. Uh, now it's not just a matter of luck. I mean, this is an airline that 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 has done a lot right strategically. You know, has has to a large degree made its own luck. But yeah, if your question is, would it be putting up quite these margins if if it were uh, based in Houston? Uh, the the answer is almost certainly no. I'm also impressed at the many things Alaska seems to have to look forward to. Uh, for an airline that is reaching new heights, you know, you naturally expect them to come off those heights. But uh, is that necessarily what's going to happen? I think you know a lot of us have been waiting for a long time for them to, <laughs> to uh, start coming off their heights, particularly in the face of everything that Delta has been doing in, in Seattle. You know, I, I, I did not think a few years ago that they could, uh, I mean, I, I thought they'd be fine, um, you know, just because of, of, of where they were starting. But um, I did not think that they could uh, endure all of that as unscathed as they have. So, uh, so gosh, you know, uh, now look, I mentioned Virgin America. Um, that will, by definition, probably at least for a little while, drag down their margins, uh, just because Virgin was the far less profitable um, uh, airline. And so, you know, you put the two together on day one, you've got a a less profitable airline on average than uh, than Virgin was by itself. And uh, obviously, obviously, the the point is that they think they can uh, do more with Virgin uh, inside Alaska than Virgin was was. Uh, uh, was doing on its own, but you know that that's going to be a challenge. And there's a lot they have to get right. They, you know, the integration. I mean, they've got the obviously the workforces. They have to figure out what kind of product they're going to have, uh, unified product. Um, you know, what they're going to do on Transcon. You know, there's 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 a lot ahead of them um, uh, that they need to figure out. And at some moment, uh, there's going to be a shift, and and you know, their markets are not going to be just in terms of macroeconomic stuff are not, are not always going to be the uh, the most profitable places. In the uh, among the most profitable places in the country, I mean, at some moment, you know, Houston's going to be hot and Seattle's not, and then yeah, you know, they're not going to be able to put up the same kinds of margins that they uh, that they are right now just uh, just because of that. But for the moment, they uh, they're doing extraordinarily well. 
Alaska was one of the few U.S. carriers to do better in 2016 than 2015. Yeah, uh, you know, 2015 seems to have kind of been the high watermark. American had its highest profit ever in 2015. I mean, it had its second highest ever in 2016. Not bad. Um, but 2015, sort of into the beginning of 2016, was sort of that that, that alternate reality where you know airlines had the the a low cost environment very very cheap fuel but for a while still rather high airfares which inevitably came down because they started growing again i mean for you know perfectly rational reasons you know when when, when fuel is cheap you can grow and did get your economies of scale get all the sort of unit cost benefit of growth uh, and then you can you know, just kind of deal with lower airfares you know so then you had a situation where yeah um fuel was still kind of cheap but airfares were becoming cheap. And then more recently, uh, sort of a less comfortable environment where airfares are still rather cheap and fuel is, uh, although rather low in historical terms, uh, not so cheap anymore. And and so, um, so you know, for all airlines, 2017 likely to be uh, more challenging than, than uh, 2016. Let's turn to South Korea, as both carriers there have reported, I should say both major carriers. In 2016, Asiana had its best year in five years. That's the good news. The bad news is that only amounted to a 5% operating margin. For a while now, we've been talking about how life is tough for airlines in Korea, but Asiana seems to be hanging in there. How are they doing it? Well, partly, uh, you know, the, the, the comparisons were relatively easy uh you know a year earlier they were still dealing with the uh, the mers virus scare for example uh so now that's you know a year in the past and and um uh just naturally demand has uh recovered they've done some things strategically they have a low cost unit called air soul they, they've gotten rid of some of their the biggest money losing routes or presumably their biggest money losing routes that that would be why they've gotten rid of them uh you're not flying to vladivostok anymore or bali or yangon that's important because you know a lot of airlines around the world you can uh, put it this way you know all the money that you make on, on all your routes that are working you can give a lot of it back on just a few dog routes and so just by trimming you know it doesn't have to be that many but sometimes just by trimming uh, the the very worst of your flying uh, you can really help yourself I remember you know, you asked earlier about easyjet um, you know, one one thing that they've done very successfully uh, uh, probably a half decade ago at this point um, they really got aggressive about just kind of cutting the the, the worst 10 percent of their routes just always having that churn um, because that can really have an outsized uh, benefit uh, on your profitability picture and so uh, so yeah you, you put it all together and they're they're doing well. They're looking forward, by the way, to their first A350-900s uh, coming uh, coming here this year, then some uh, A321neos. And so, uh, so yeah, a lot of uh, that kind of excitement along with sort of the more prosaic and difficult job cuts and some of the other restructurings, uh, restructuring tasks that they've uh, undertaken. And Korean Air did even better. In 2016, it doubled its profit margin from 5% to 10%. It did. One thing to remember about uh, Korean Air, um, this is a highly diversified company. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's less airline than, than most other large airlines in the world. Just 56% uh, of its revenues are, are, uh, are from flying. Uh, so, you know, just a little over half of, of, of what it does is, is flying. So, um, uh, you know, it has a big maintenance division, even a manu- aerospace manufacturing division. It's it's uh 
not really apples to apples. But having said that, it benefited from uh, some of the same macro trends, you know, MERS being in the past and, and all that. Uh, it too has a low cost unit, Gen Air. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's an airline that has made some strategic mistakes. I'm not sure why it bought part of uh, Czech Airlines, but uh, going forward here has has, uh, has opportunities. You know, one one big question that I think everybody's w- uh, waiting to see is: Is it finally going to be uh, in some kind of a joint venture with Delta? That uh, you know seems to be an opportunity that's out there. It has Bombardier CS 300s coming later this year. One of one of the you know, few airlines in the world that uh, will have those so far. An even rarer company to be getting. Uh, uh, three more 747-8s. Uh, very few. You know, Lufthansa has them, but uh, you know, in terms of passenger airlines, almost nobody. So uh, uh, those coming too. But so a lot going on at uh, at Korean Air. Uh, fortunately, an airline that, uh, although you know, not producing world-beating profits, is uh, is managing reasonably well uh, through a combination of just uh, the environment. In some ways, having gotten better, plus steps that it's taken. Like all Nippon did a few weeks ago, did Korean also express concern about the possibility of so-called protectionist policies in the U.S.? See what I did there with that so-called? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, uh, um, not sure what the, uh, not sure what else to call them, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, very much so. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, this is an airline that is much as any other has has benefited from a from an interconnected global economy um you know korea south korea of course is a uh, a major exporter um as anybody who uh who has a uh the samsung or lg phone uh hanging on their hip or uh you know drives a kia or hyundai or, you know a, a a huge cargo airline uh what you know an airline that uh you know, a greater percentage of its revenues come from cargo than than almost any other around the world. Uh, an airline that um, has made a big business uh, connecting people from uh, between China and uh, and the rest of the world, places like uh, North America and elsewhere. And uh, so, yeah, you know, if the U.S. turns inward as it uh, as it seems to be doing, that is a that's that's a, that's a threat for South Korea's airlines for sure. And and uh, indeed, Korean Air did mention that. Well, we're going to break our tradition of ending on a good note, uh, but we are out of time. Uh, and this concludes episode 65 of this ongoing audio experiment that is also known as the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by OAG. Learn more at OAG.com. Back in the intro, Jason, you, you, you said uh, Ryanair, was there an EasyJet or in the winner's circle? Yeah. I'm tired of winning. Come on, Seth. We're making the industry great again.